0: Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist.
1: How's it going, everyone? I'm your host, Grace Hobion, and in this episode, I talk with Dr. Joy Mosser, a pediatric dermatologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio and the Program Director of the Residency Program at The Ohio State University. We discuss her path to becoming a pediatric dermatologist, some insight into the OSU Derm Program, and her tips for success in the application process. Without further ado, see you on the skin side. All right, welcome back to the DIGA podcast. I'm joined by Dr. Joy Mosser, and she's going to introduce herself.
0: Hi, this is Joy Mosser. Um, I am a pediatric dermatologist at Nationwide Children's and the residency director at Ohio State University. I should say the Ohio State University. Uh, I went to medical school at Northeastern Ohio University's College of Medicine was the name when I went there. It's currently called Neomed. Uh, it is a six-year medical school program where I completed um, two years and three summers at the University of Akron and then matriculated to medical school um, at uh, Neo UCOM. I graduated in 1993. Uh, I went on to complete an internship at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in Cleveland in pediatrics followed by uh, three years dermatology residency at Ohio State University from 1994 to 1997. And then um, from there, from 1997 through 98, um, I went to Northwestern, uh, at that time was Children's Memorial Hospital to complete a pediatric dermatology fellowship um, with um, Amy Paller, Tony Mancini, and Annette Wagner, uh, and then returned to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, At that time, I went into private practice for approximately 15 years, uh, but I continued to teach residents on a weekly or bi-weekly basis at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Um, During that time, I um, mentored Medical students, residents, um, pediatric residents, family practice, internal medicine, and dermatology residents um, in both the pediatric dermatology clinics at Children's Hospital, um, sometimes also in my pediatric uh, or in my uh, derm- dermatology private practice, and then um, in the clinics at Children's, as well as providing lectures. Um, to many of the residency programs around town, uh, my interest was to be in academics, and so in 2013, I transitioned to Nationwide Children's Hospital uh, full time as a pediatric dermatologist. Um, and then from there, I went on to uh, I continued to mentor the uh, students and the residents, the dermatology residents. Um, I went on to take a position as the dermatology. Uh, assistant um, or associate program director in 2014. And then in 2015, I moved up to the residency program director at Ohio State, which I've been in that position since that, since 2015. Wonderful.
1: Dr. Mosser, welcome to the DIGA podcast. We're super excited to have you. And my first question for you is, uh, why did you choose to pursue dermatology? And at what point in medical school did you make that final decision?
0: Um, I always jokingly say that I may have initially pursued dermatology for the wrong reason. Um, but I, my guess is that many others who pursue dermatology pursue it for the same reason. Um, being a rather, uh, academically competitive student, um, and having a naturally competitive nature, I wanted to do one of the hardest, um, to try to achieve one of the hardest residencies to achieve. So that was the reason I chose to pursue dermatology as a medical student. Um, But as I moved through medical school and certainly into my residency, I realized that dermatology was the perfect residency for me. Um, I'm a person who likes to get a good eight hours of sleep every night and I don't mind reading for endless hours. Uh, esoteric material as sometimes uh, is needed in dermatology. I also enjoy um, having a relationship with patients and patients' families. So uh, uh, dermatology is one, very academic. You usually get to sleep in your bed every night and it's a high volume clinical practice in most situations. So um, I get to interact with people all day. I also found out as I kind of progressed through this um, <laughs> through this path that it allowed me to see both adults and children. I mean, I have ended up practicing seeing predominantly children, um, but I love the ability early on to be able to see both adults and children and to often see whole families. Uh, I also like the mix of um, being able to do surgery, but not major surgery that required me to be in the OR all day long. Um, I enjoyed being able to um, see whole families of patients. So over the years, it ended up being a great fit for multiple reasons. Then it was just something competitive to do. But I love it. No better profession, if you ask me.
1: While you were going through your rotations during medical school, were there other specialties that might have piqued your interest as you were going through that process before you made the final decision?
0: Yes, definitely. I would have to say my two favorite specialties, two, then three. My two favorite were... um, Allergy and immunology, uh, and then um, pediatric infectious disease, and then a close uh, a close tie with that pediatric infectious disease was pediatric emergency medicine. Um, but really, honestly, allergy immunology is probably a very similar profession, and that was my my second, first choice, I would say. And so it would have probably put me in a very similar type situation that I'm in now as far as practicing. Um, I I like children, but I wanted to do dermatology and it wasn't until around December of my senior year of medical school. Um, I did a pediatric infectious disease rotation in December. And at this time I'd already applied to um, internal medicine, residencies or pre-lin years as well as I was applying to. There was only a few dermatology programs that you matched into as a student in um, 1993 when I graduated medical school. Um, most of the time, dermatology residents were something, residencies were something that you applied for as you were already a resident, similar to the way we apply to fellowships today. So I was applying for internal medicine. Uh, I applied to two dermatology residencies, Uh, that were available in the country um, outside that you would match into as a senior in medical school. And then during that pediatric infectious disease um, rotation, I realized how much I love children. And if I somehow did not match in dermatology, I'd much rather be um, a pediatrician with a pediatric fellowship than an internist with a pediatric fellowship. So I kind of pivoted and, um, applied to a few pediatric residencies at that time. So my match list in in March of 1993 was, um, two dermatology residencies. Um, I think it was three pediatric residencies and then another probably half dozen preliminary internal medicine residencies. Um, So I did not match that year into one of the dermatology programs that you could match into out of um, fourth year of medical school. So I did match into Remo Babies and Children's. And so as soon as I matched, I started applying to dermatology residencies. Um, At that point, uh, dermatology residencies were kind of in a transition. Some programs wanted people who had just done a prelim year. uh, and other programs wanted people who had done a full three years of either internal medicine or family practice or pediatrics had done a full residency. Um, so I applied to programs who were predominantly looking for someone who just done a prelim year. And then um, the match for dermatology was actually in October. So I matched in dermatology in October of 1993 during my um, pediatric internship. So during the first few months of my pediatric internship, I was actually interviewing for dermatology positions.
1: Is it common nowadays still to match into dermatology with that particular timeline that you had,
0: or is, is that less common nowadays? Uh, significantly less common. Almost all the programs are uh, have just one preliminary year and um, followed by three years of dermatology residency. And unfortunately, it was a little bit It might have been a little bit more difficult at my time to actually not have done a full residency because most programs in the country were actually looking for people more like a fellowship. Today, it's probably more difficult for um, applicants to match into dermatology after having um, completed a full residency. So if you're really dedicated to dermatology, you're best doing it right from uh, medical school.
1: Is there a particular, I'm wondering if there is a particular reason for that. I've, I've gotten some questions from my friends who are outside of the medical field. Whenever I explain this process to them, it's like, it's not common to take, a, say, a gap year between medical school and residency because your, your chances of getting in are significantly lower. And I'm wondering if there's a particular reason for that,
0: if you know. There is, actually. The main reason is probably funding, um, funding from the government for residency positions. So, the reason in the '90s when this was in transition is uh, that it costs more to have a PGY four, five, six resident than it does to have a two, three, four resident. So that's really the main um, the main reason, probably that this has transitioned over the years is that you would only so as far as myself. Uh, or today's standard, you'd only have to pay a residency position for this particular applicant as a um, postgraduate year one resident, which would be their prelim year, a postgraduate year two, three, and four, which would be their three years in internal medicine. Then they would graduate and either go on to a fellowship, possibly requiring some additional funding, but the most don't go on to a fellowship. They go on to practice. If you have someone who does a full three years of internal medicine, then you've provided Um, funding for them as a postgraduate year one, two, three, all through their three years of internal medicine. And then if they move on to dermatology, they require funding um, for a a postgraduate year four, five, six. So overall, they required six years of funding versus four years of funding. And uh, so those healthcare dollars from the government to pay for resident salaries um, have kind of affected this a bit. Gotcha. That makes sense. Some, and I will tell you that many, as far as applicants, some institutions um, don't don't consider this. So one of the most common questions that we get asked at um, during application season is, "Will your program look at people who've already done residencies?" And we do, because Ohio State does not limit us to someone who's only done an intern year. Um, and I can't speak for other programs, but I have a feeling that there are other. Um, hospital systems in the country who are less willing to take someone who's already done a, um, a full residency because of the financial contribution to that particular resident.
1: Right. And then once you started dermatology residency, you had already done a, a year in pediatrics. You had a pretty good idea that pediatric dermatology was uh, your ultimate destination, Was but were, were there other subspecialties that piqued your interest during residency?
0: Oh, dermatopathology. Um, I, even in medical school for, uh, I did a rotation in dermatopathology thinking this might be the way for me to go. Um, I really enjoyed pathology, both in medical school and in dermatology residency. Um, I kind of have a, where I can, I can really visualize things. Um, And so I thought this would be a good fit. Uh, But I will also say that during that fourth year medical school rotation um i found i found the lack of patient interaction throughout the day in pathology to be probably not the best match for me um, but it could have been a nice a nice position in dermatopathology because most dermatopathologists will still practice half dermatopath- half dermatopathology and then half clinical dermatology so it could have been that that could have also been a nice fit mhm I definitely
1: value the patient interaction myself as well. And I know you mentioned earlier that you went into private practice following residency initially. Could you walk us through why you initially chose to do private practice and then came back to academics?
0: Um, It was probably more based on um, Columbus as a community at the time. Um, The only academic program was Ohio State. Um, and my husband was already practicing in town. So uh, I planned to come back to central Ohio. Uh, but it was, you know, for a lot of years, dermatology's strength were in more private patient, outpatient medicine. I mean, if you think dermatology does not rely a lot on a hospital system, we don't rely a lot on the ORs and hospitals don't benefit um, from excessive lab work, sorting except excessive lab work or X-rays. So there wasn't really a good um, th- there wasn't really a good match um, for myself at Ohio State in nineteen or at Children's Hospital at the time either, which I would have kind of which I was looking to work for. Um, it wasn't really a good match. Neither one of them were really set up to have an academic um, pediatric dermatologist underneath their umbrella. Um, There were very few institute, very few children's hospitals that time back then, um, big ones, CHOP, uh, obviously Northwestern Children's Memorial, um, San Diego, San Francisco, Boston, that had strong pediatric dermatology programs. But a lot of, um, like the hospitals in the state of Ohio, um, Akron Children's, Toledo, Columbus Children's back then, they weren't really. They didn't really feel the need or understand the need for pediatric dermatology, which has changed significantly in the last 10 to 15 years. And so it was easier for me to see patients in private practice. And most of my practice there was also children. So my referrals were from dermatologists and pediatricians from the community. And I had a thriving pediatric dermatology private practice, but I was missing out on some of the academic endeavors like being residency director.
1: When you were in private practice, were you in a group or were you solo? And what what has come of your practice now that you're uh, in academics?
0: I was at a group practice. uh, When I first started in 1998, uh, there were four of us. Um, By the time I left in 2013, there were, I want to say closer to seven in that practice. Um, and now the practice has even grown a little bit more and was closer to, um, I think nine or 10 in the practice I left. Um, so the practice went on to grow. Um, I think that some of the pediatric patients probably stayed in that practice. Um, some of them transitioned to seeing myself or at children's hospital or some of my, my colleagues here at children's hospital, um, so, I, I would say though that the pediatric dermatology patients, uh, there's no, we have lots of them in central Ohio and not enough that can really actually be seen by all four pediatric board certified pediatric dermatologies at children uh, and our true nurse practitioners who've been practicing pediatric dermatology each for over, um, over five years now. Uh, so, many pediatric dermatology patients are seen both in uh, dermatology practices in Central Ohio as well as our practice.
1: I'm happy to hear that your prior practice is continuing to flourish. Um, and so now that you're at Nationwide Children's, um, what does a typical week look like in your current career and how much of your career is split between outpatient versus
0: inpatient? Okay. So um, a typical week for myself, now as a residency director, I have a little bit less clinical um, clinical responsibilities, um, but I see patients Um, in the actual clinic, uh, five half days a week. So I see patients on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and then both Friday morning and Friday afternoon. Uh, And those patients are uh, Monday mornings. I often see those patients with um, one of our nurses and assistants. The other days I tend to have uh, residents with me, and it may be a mix of Ohio State residents, Ohio Health Dermatology residents, pediatric or even internal medicine or IMPs residents um, are rotating through our clinic. So I am supervising both them as well as seeing the patients in those clinics. Uh, I have uh, one morning a month. I have a two hour block in the OR so I can do actually it's more of a surgical outpatient center, but it's through children's. So I can uh, provide excisions for patients who need them under anesthesia or other procedures Then I am on, there's four uh, board certified pediatric dermatologists at Children's Hospital. So I'm on call for one week per month. Essentially that starts at 5 p.m. on Friday and goes till 5 p.m. the next Friday. Uh, And so during that time on call, uh, we may have inpatient hospital consults, which can vary from three in that week to probably not more than 15 in a week. We also, during that time of call, we have a a service at Children's Hospital where physicians from our emergency emergency rooms, our urgent care, or community practices, really anywhere from kind of around the state of Ohio can call and ask us about a pediatric dermatology patient. Uh, Luckily, Uh, most reserve these questions for patients that they are most puzzled by or um, patients who are truly kind of an emergency and maybe need to be seen or triaged a little bit more urgently. That tends to be a busier week. And then I spend Wednesday afternoon, uh, I spend resident didactics uh, Monday afternoons and Tuesday and Thursday mornings, I tend to spend a lot of time with administrative things that result, uh, in regards to the dermatology residency program. And then there's always lots of other meetings to go around.
1: What would you say are some of your favorite dermatologic conditions to treat throughout the week?
0: Oh, um, that's a good question. Um, I probably spend my most time managing atopic dermatitis. And I really do enjoy managing atopic dermatitis. Um, psoriasis is probably a, closed, a close second. Uh, I used to enjoy managing acne a lot more. It's become a little bit more difficult um, over the years with just insurance coverage on many of the acne medications. And so um, I feel even our best insured patients don't have access to Um, a lot of choices. So um, treating acne has become a little lower, lower on my totem pole of diagnoses I like to treat over the years. And then um, those are the common ones that I enjoy treating, but it's, it's with what we do. It's so fun when you see great cases and, you know, diagnose just interesting, interesting conditions, genodermatoses. I like ichthyosis patients. I've had a few xeroderma pigmentosa patients who just kind of present to the office. I've had, you know, patients with tuberous sclerosis, neurofibromatosis, and we have those patients and we co-manage on them, but it, it, there's always a rewarding feeling when they come into your office with a skin lesion and they haven't been diagnosed yet and you're the one who makes the diagnosis.
1: Yeah, that really is impactful for sure. And how do you think the field of pediatric dermatology might evolve over the next 10 years or so?
0: That's a great question. Um, that's a great question, but a tough one. I would say probably the some of the ways I see it evolving is um, there is a program called PEDRA, which is the, basically the Pediatric Dermatology Research Association. And that is a branch of the Society for Pediatric Dermatology. And over um, the last five to 10 years, we've really been able to advocate for um, clinical studies and use of medication in children that was not. Previously, able to be done, and when I think about my early days of our career, there's so we use systemic medications so infrequently compared to the way we do now. So we've really already made some great advancements in being able to treat children with, again, atopic dermatitis, psoriasis. Those two kind of being being the leaders in um, in treatment. Where you know our colleagues in rheumatoid are rheumatology, we're treating patients with rheumatoid arthritis with methotrexate for decades and treating them much more frequently than we were. So having the ability to use these medications and being comfortable using these medications um, has been a huge advance in the last 10 years. I would say where it's going to go now is genetics, but that's probably everything, right? But the better we all get, I mean, it's great to have our our genetic colleagues. But I think the better we get at being able to make these genetic associations and the more ability we're going to have to test our patients, we'll be able to target their therapies more. So I think that's going to be the future.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, especially with a lot of the congenital uh, conditions that arise more frequently in the pediatric population. I think it would be good you know, just to have, as you said, targeted therapies to Specifically address the dermatologic condition while minimizing adverse effects as well. Yes. And so I want to pivot over to a dermatology residency program at the Ohio State. And so there's both a categorical program as well as an advanced position. Um, would you be able to walk our listeners through the differences between
0: those two? Yes. So a, a categorical position is where your preliminary year is matched up with the dermatology residency. So what if you match into our categorical residency spot? You will be automatically provided a preliminary medicine, um, in preliminary medicine internship year at Ohio State University, and then you'll transition to us in dermatology. If you would match into an advanced position. Uh, you will just match into dermatology residency, which would start typically as a PGY-2 or beyond. Um, And then you would match up your own selected preliminary medicine year. Uh, I don't know how all the other programs in the country are lined up. Many have categorical positions. I think most actually have advanced positions. We've gotten a little bigger. We had at one point no categorical, then two categorical, and no advanced. Now we have um, two categorical and two advanced. I've kept those advanced positions because I think it gives some people some flexibility, meaning that um, if maybe they want to do their internship closer to home, or maybe they have a spouse or family members, or if there's someone who's already done a full internship, uh, so they they don't need the internship yet. Now, if you're someone who's already done a, you know, an intern year or three years of residency, and you would happen to match into the categorical position, normally you would rank advanced position before the categorical. So in hopes, if you did match with us, you actually got your first choice, which was our advanced position because you didn't need an internship year, that would hopefully work out okay. And most years it does. If for some reason, someone had already done an internship and did not need that categorical position, you don't have to do a categorical position. Ohio State does not hold you to that um, requirement. We just have to tell internal medicine that that we have someone who doesn't need that spot and they fill it with another preliminary medicine applicant from somewhere else.
1: Okay. And just to clarify for listeners, if an applicant uh, particularly wants to do an advanced position at OSU, their prelim year would have to be at a
0: different institution or uh, how does that work? It does. Um, Ohio State does not have any preliminary positions except for with programs that are already associated with Ohio State. Um, essentially, Ohio State's preliminary medicine internship positions are filled by dermatology, ophthalmology, I think physical medicine or rehabilitation, maybe neurology. But yeah, so their positions are filled just by other specialties similar to ours who whose applicants need to do an internship first.
1: Okay, that makes sense. What would you say makes the dermatology residency program at OSU unique?
0: Oh, I would have to say the strength in our clinical experience um, anybody who's spoken to me before or listens to our meet and greet, hears this over and over again. We just have a very wide breadth of clinical experience in patients. Um, and that, as you, as you probably already heard today, that includes pediatric dermatology. It also includes patients in the VA system. It includes people, patients from um, the Ohio State prison system. Um, it is, there is a huge inpatient consult service um, one of the biggest in the country at Ohio State, uh, as well as numerous specialty clinics due to our um, due to the number of faculty we have. So we have specialty clinics and several complex dermatology clinics with blistering patients and um, patients with uh, advanced rheumatologic dermatolo- rheumatology dermatologic disease overlaps. We have a psoriasis clinic. Uh, we have a pigmented lesion clinic. So, uh, just the volume of specialty clinics and the overall patient volume is what really makes the strength of our program. And then the second thing we always say is really the camaraderie. Um, our residents really are close knit and support each other. And um, yeah, they're able to spend they spend a lot of time together. They're there to support one another. Um, they work closely together in all these clinics. So that is also that kind of personal connection with your colleagues and the faculty. There's a close relationship with the residents and the faculty members. So that personal connection as well as clinical dermatology experience.
1: Yeah. Sounds like an amazing environment to train in. I'm wondering how early do residents get
0: surgical autonomy in the program? Uh, Second half of their first year of dermatology, but uh, they are basically observing the first half and then they will have some more independent time starting in January of their first year. But yet there's still, there's still also clinics where they're working with a one-on-one with an attending and assisting the attending. So they're still getting an experience where they're, they're just not set free to do all their um, surgeries on their own. Um, they are still spending time in moes and moes closures. So um but the first time that they're individual, like doing actual excisions by themselves is probably going to be halfway through their first year based on their comfort level. Yeah. It sounds like they start pretty early on in the program relatively. Oh, yes. Yeah. We have a first year dermatology surgical clinic, um, one half day per month where they'll rotate through. But then two of our newer faculty um, have also started a similar clinic where they have uh, they have a first year with them and second year with them uh, at least a half day a week. And so they'll have individual one-on-one training and start to have a little bit more independence based on their comfort level.
1: And does OSU offer virtual didactics and grand rounds? uh, And can medical students attend those as well?
0: We do. We have um, didactics every Wednesday afternoon, um, as well as dramatic pathology sessions um, every Thursday Afternoon and one Friday, or every I'm sorry, every Thursday morning and one Friday morning a month. Currently, the first and second and fifth Wednesday afternoons are in person. Um, the third uh, and fourth Wednesday afternoons are virtual. Um, essentially, none of these were virtual until um, after the pen until the pandemic started, and we will be transitioning. Uh, the third Wednesday back to in person. This is the pediatric dermatology um, didactics afternoon. This is going to transition July one of twenty of two thousand and twenty three back to in person, assuming that we don't have any more relapses in our pandemic. And then I think for now we'll keep the fourth Wednesday um virtual because it's a little easier as many of our grand rounds are the fourth wednesday of the month and they are also virtual that has allowed us to have national speakers via zoom um, and also to have many more participants as far as community doc and alumni are actually now participating in grand rounds uh, because it is virtual Uh, also some of these will start to transition back uh, when we have a local speaker or a a faculty who's giving grand rounds, uh, we may be starting to transition some of these Wednesday afternoons back to in-person as well. It really is gonna depend on um, the grand round speaker and where they're coming from.
1: It's really amazing how you're able to bring in national speakers as well. Do you you have international speakers as
0: well or is it mainly just those within the U.S.? Mostly just those within the U.S. We're not opposed to anyone outside the U.S. I just don't think anyone's occurred to ask anyone. Okay. It's a good
1: idea. Yeah, yeah, I think well, I guess I guess you would have to take the time zones into consideration, but <laughs> definitely. But, but the possibility still exists uh with, with the virtual modality. Are medical students allowed to attend these or uh, would do they have to be in their uh, say away rotation to attend?
0: Um well definitely we encourage our local dermatology um or our our local medical students who are interested in dermatology to attend. We encourage that so that we can kind of see their faces and hopefully get to know them. Um, Yeah, but others, uh, those who've rotated with us will often keep coming back to Grand Rounds. Um, We're not opposed to having those interested, um, particularly Zoom in on our Grand Rounds as well. Um, Yeah, I I think we're open to that possibility if people have an interest for sure. And I know we have had some, but most of them have already kind of either had a rotation set up with us and are just continuing to come. Um, it We te- we don't tend to have a person who's just out of the blue from across the country asked to attend our Grand Rounds, but it would be allowable.
1: Yeah. And would you be able to tell us a little bit about the research that current residents do? Um, are residents required to do research in order to um, complete the program and can medical students, either from OSU or from outside, be able to assist them with with research?
0: So our residents are required to do a yearly scholarly activity and um, to complete a QI project during during residency. Uh, most of the time, they actually have they are mentoring medical students through these. The majority of them are actually not. Um, I would say most of our residents have a very they're very interested in. In clinic, uh, clinical education, so most of their scholarly activity is going to come in the form of, of case reports or case series. Um, we do uh, tend to always have one or two residents within the residency at one time who have much more interest in um, more statistical-based research or, um, or projects, and we help to match them up with one of our mentors, like such as Dr. Kaffenberger or Dr. Carr, who are more involved in more extensive research than just the clinical presentations.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sounds like the majority are clinically focused research. Yes, clinically so, focused. Gotcha. And what is the timeline for applying for an away rotation at OSU Derm? What's the uh, platform that you use for applications and the types of clinical experiences that you're able to offer during the away
0: rotation? So the platform, you have to go through the medical school. I don't know the exact timeline. That's something we've been working on this year so that we make sure that we get matched up with students who have a reason who want to be here. Um, things got a little bit, not just at our institution, but things got a little difficult with the way rotations during the pandemic where they weren't allowed and then ro- uh, um, students were only allowed one and it kind of got into tough where it was at a lottery system and so students took the first rotation that they were accepted to even if they really didn't want to go to that particular program or and maybe that program really had no interest in taking that person either so that was a little difficult uh, so it is going through the medical school we've started to put some parameters on on um, on our rotation. It still has to go officially through the medical school, but we started to put some parameters and some things that we uh, just created a new document. We kind of want to know who you are, where you're coming from, what your CV is, what's your what's your attraction to Ohio State, what's your connection to Columbus, Ohio, just so that we are matching up um, applicants, uh, allowing applicants to rotate with us who really want to be here. Um, and not someone, and then hopefully, if they don't really have an interest in Ohio State, then that'll free up a position for someone else who wants to, uh, who does want to be at Ohio State, and hopefully that same opportunity will happen for for them at another institution. And then while you're on the rotation, uh, so the rotation is uh, quite busy. So one of the second year medical, second year dermatology residents are responsible for setting up. Um, the rotation for each individual student. And honestly, they make sure that they get into every clinic um, and get as much face-to-face time and clinic with every faculty member, um, including uh, those of us at Children's Hospital, so that you have a, um, a good experience. They also get time on consults, which is um, huge help to the residents, but also uh, really an insight into consult dermatology in general. So applicants truly enjoy that. But yeah, a big breadth of experience. And then they also have individual lectures, which is provided to, provided to them by um, the residents and a little test they kind of take at the end, um, which is set up through Dr. Kaffenberger.
1: Okay. You said that the residents work with the students to make sure that they get that breadth of experience. How are the students' experiences divided up between clinic and inpatient consults, et
0: cetera? I think it depends really on how many applicants we have. Okay. At the how are applicants, how many rotators we have at the same time? It really just is they're really trying to balance them out. So, for example, they don't, they don't want someone to miss out on complex dermatology clinic or uh, the psoriasis clinic. Uh, they're going to make sure that maybe they prioritize that over being in consults that day. It's, it's really pretty well balanced out just because they're here for four weeks and so that they get a little bit of experience with everything. And then also, and if they have an interest in surgery, then this they'll kind of make sure they rotate through, um, like, for example, through most surgery through the most surgery um, clinics as well.
1: Mm-hmm. They would fit that in for about uh, a day or two, or what does that look like?
0: Uh, there are opportunities for MOS surgery. There's four full days of most surgery between the two most surgeons every week. So um, if there's someone who said, I really have very little interest in pediatric dermatology, but I'd like to spend some more time in mo's," uh, it could probably be directed towards that as well, because there's plenty of opportunities with both locations. For example, if you're more interested in peds, they can have you. You can select out to do more pediatric dermatology clinics, but not so much that you don't see what what the residency program is like. And then they'll attend all didactics and all pathology sessions.
1: All right. And when it comes down to the moment of truth, when um, applying to residencies, what are you looking for in an application to the OSU dermatology program?
0: So, in our program, being in Central Ohio. Uh, we, we tend to look for people who want to be here or we think try to predict who would want to be in the state of Ohio. Almost everybody on the map will say, oh, I'd be happy to be in San Francisco, New York, Chicago. But not everybody, if they really consider deep inside themselves, really wants to be in Columbus, Ohio, or um, maybe in Kansas City, Missouri. I mean, these are unique locations that often, unless you have a real connection to that city, you may not want to be there. So that's still probably regional filters are the strongest for us. And so we heavily look at students whose home is the state of Ohio, whose medical school is the state of Ohio, and then kind of our next our next group is really looking at those students whose home are in surrounding states. Uh, that's probably our biggest our biggest applicant pool we're certainly looking for strong academic students. Um, we're looking for students who have, you know, some diverse experiences in their lifetime as possible, but, um, every, that's the hard part is that every application dermatology is almost everyone is so strong. The dermatology applicants, um, in this, this last century or, you know, the last decade, you could barely go wrong with any, they're all so good. And, um, in the way with the match works. Yes. I mean, there's, it it can't, you can't really say I want all men this year because I'm too strong on women or vice versa. We try to be fair, but we're looking for, we're really kind of like I said, focusing on those applicants who we think would want to be in central Ohio for some reason and want to be at Ohio state. Certainly as the emphasis on USMLE scores is being taken away there's been a, it's been a natural trend towards holistic. I mean, just just taking those away has made the approach more holistic because we um, don't apply, we're not applying filters at a certain USL, USMLE score. Um, so that in itself is already kind of, is already fixing itself with the holistic process. And we are looking for, we are, we're looking for applicants who have um, who could tell us a, a good story about what has been meaningful to them? And um, and it doesn't mean that they've had to have an entire career and then transition back. Um, we're looking for people who have you know good work ethic, who um, because it's a, dermatology is a lot of work. Most of our dermatology residents say, "Gosh, this is so much harder than internship." How how could dermatology be so much harder than internship? So we're looking for people who've got a strong work ethic because their dermatology is a high volume field. You are all day, often on your feet, um, lots of charts to finish, which means lots of phone calls and lots of FaceTime with patients. And um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a day on inpatient ward where you're managing a half a dozen patients who may have serious problems, but um, you're back and forth managing them. This is you know, you're on all day long seeing patients. So it can be kind of tough. So we're looking with people with that work ethic. We're looking for people with good communication skills, because that, is, um, that ends up being very important in the dermatology profession um, as a whole. And having good experience with working in your community with a lot of other people from various areas also strengthens your application. Uh, and then, in general, um, I would have to say we are looking for people who've done some scholarly activity. If you look under the um, under publications and presentations and they have zero, um, that's kind of hard. So it doesn't have to be extensive, but it has to be often something. We're often looking to applicants who've put in a little effort in, Interest in dermatology. And so some of those, some so their rotations have been at least in dermatology. Maybe they've tried to do a little bit of early research in dermatology. Um, usually those are kind of the, some of the holistic things we're, we're looking for. I,
1: I actually did want to follow up on the fact that USMLE step one scores are now pass fail and whether that has changed much of um, I know that you had mentioned earlier that. It is, of course, a a push towards more holistic review of of applicants, but do you know if there will be other changes going forward or uh, do you think that that really changes the process?
0: Um, I would have to say, I don't think it's going to change it a whole lot. And the reason is, is because there's been this focus for the last five years to increase particularly diversity in dermatology. And so I'd say in the last five years, um, we as a program, and I think many other dermatology programs in the country have been looking less and less and using USMLE scores as a filter. And therefore, I don't think it'll be a hard transition to just not have it at all. I do hear some programs will be focusing more on USMLE. Well, I don't know. I every, I don't know that I've actually heard programs who are going to look at USMLE. I think the general discussion among programs is, is everyone going to use USMLE too now? Um, I don't know of any program that says, oh yeah, we're definitely going to use that as a filter. Um, I think it's been there. Uh, I think I think failing either USMLE one or two is still going to be hard to match into dermatology residency, but um, I don't know. We'll have to see. I don't. We'll have to see what the other programs do and what the what the gossip ends up being this year. But I think we everyone has started to kind of steer away from those standardized tests and look at the applicant as a whole.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. At least focus more on the applicant's experiences and who they are as a person outside of their test scores, essentially. Um, what would you suggest that medical students look for when selecting programs to apply to? Uh,
0: I also think medical students should probably um you know consider what's the best fit for them as far as are they looking for a heavy research experience? Um, Are they looking for that clinical experience? Um, I think if you, are they looking for a heavy cosmetic experience? Like where do they see? I mean, you have to try, you don't totally know, but you do want to try to look and say, you know, think where would I want to be in, you know, five years when I'm done with my residency? Do I want to be, in private practice? Do I want to be in academics? Do I see myself doing inpatient medicine? And so if you, none of them can go wrong with a strong clinical experience, but if you want to be in private practice, you're going to spend your days seeing a lot of patients. And so having a very strong clinical experience and training is going to be important. If you see yourself um, in an academic practice and are thinking, I want to do inpatient dermatology uh, or high acute dermatology, complex dermatology, then you're going to want to find a program that's strong in that or of an interest in basic science. You're going to want to look for that program as well.
1: Yeah, so making sure you find a program that tailors to your specific yeah. interest.
0: And I do think a lot of it is, um, I think the same way that we're looking for people who want to be at Ohio State and in Columbus, Ohio. I do think when applicants start to look at residencies, they start to think where Where do I want to be um, for the next four years of training? Um, do I want to be close to family? Do I want to be in a city I'm already living in? Um, I, I think a lot of those are where applicants are looking as well, and I think those are those are very important. You want to be when you're going to be where you're going to be happy and have a good support system, if you possible. And your support system may be the gym um, <laughs> that you exercise at. It may be the bookstore that um, you like to go to on Saturdays or the coffee shop where you like to study. But um, those are important things because residency is, um, it's still dermatology residency, It's, but it's still residency and it's still hard. It's another four years of training.
1: And what information would you like listeners to know about the OSU Derm Program that can't necessarily be found online or on the website?
0: Oh, I think um, I I don't know if it's about the program, but um, Columbus, Ohio is a great town. I don't think people know what they're missing out on. And unfortunately, with these, you know, virtual interviews, applicants don't get to see that. It, it's a great city. Uh, living in the Midwest is great. The cost of living here is wonderful. We can still get to most places in the world fairly easily. Just one stop out of Columbus to to another city, but even within our country, you can get to a lot of places nonstop. Um, and so, it's a very livable. It's a very livable city. So, uh, I know I should be saying, you know, how great our residency program is because it is. It's great. Our hospital is good, and I think that camaraderie comes from that. Uh, when you walk into a Midwest town, everyone wants, you know, you walk down the street, people are smiling at you. They're saying hi. And, um, and that's the kind of community we have at Ohio state where we're all here to help each other succeed. It's not competitive or cutthroat. Um, we all benefit from everyone else's success. So, um, it's, there's not this, like I said, cutthroat competition, um, from the faculty. Um, so especially for the faculty, because that trickles down to the residents, we're all happy people and we want our, we want our applicants to be our applicants and our residents to be happy coming through here and to be happy about coming to work every day. So I don't know if that comes from being in a Midwest town or just from our institution or a little mix of both, but I don't know if that comes through on the website. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I I can attest to that. I mean, I think it, it is kind of a combination of both. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, find somewhere where you're happy and it's Very, very easy to be happy in Columbus, especially with the environment both within the residency program and outside of the program, as you said. Columbus is like, it's almost like a hidden gem that is a little underrated, you know, with it being like, I can't remember what it is now, 14th or 15th largest city in America.
0: I know. Yeah, I think it might be 15th, but it could have moved up in ranks over the last year. But yeah, it's, it's become a much bigger city and has a lot to offer.
1: Yeah, I think just having lived here for for as long as I have, it's it's like that perfect size city where it's got um, it's got everything that you would expect from like like a larger city, but also the friendly environment. When you know, not to mention like you said, ease of travel, ease of access to great food. You know, I agree. People don't know what they're missing out on. Not at all. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a couple of uh, wrap up questions here. So uh, the first of which is. Uh, what would you say to your past self back in medical
0: school now that you are a dermatology attending? Oh, I would say, um, I would definitely say go for it. I mean, although I was a good academic student, um, applying to dermatology is intimidating. And I think we are becoming a, a kinder, gentler specialty. I mean, we are once you're in residency, but it's um, at times it really does feel like because we're such a highly academic specialty with a lot of like thinking and, you know, a lot of thinking and reading our specialty as a whole, even though our, our residency is not competitive and cutthroat, our specialty as a whole is still kind of competitive and cutthroat that sets up. I think students and residents early in their career to feel like they're a bit of an imposter. It's, It's definitely a field where, I think this whole imposter syndrome is fostered. And, um, and even if like your mentors, um, you know, be it myself, which I don't think I'm intimidating or other mentors seem intimidating or because they're so bright academic, whatever it may be. Um, and you feel like you have imposter syndrome, they're probably not thinking that about you. Um, most of them are going to be probably impressed with you. So when I look back, maybe it was just me, but I feel that I wasn't probably the only one. I definitely for a long time felt like, do I really deserve to be here? And, um, and can, can I make it? Uh, can I make it as a student into dermatology? Can I make it successfully as a resident? Can I make it successfully as, you know, as an academician? And particularly in pediatric dermatology, even though I was in private practice, I still was trying to be you know, significant in the world of pediatric dermatology. And so my advice to myself is like, yes, you can do it. You're not an imposter. You, you know, work hard and you deserve to be here. I don't think you could be a slacker necessarily. I think that'll, that'll get noticed because we still are hard workers that. So one, don't be a slacker and think you could make it, but don't also think you're an imposter. You, you, you're good enough to be here. So if it's what you want to do, work hard and you'll achieve it.
1: Yeah, it's 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 all about finding that balance because you, you have to be able to work in that fast-paced environment that's inherent to dermatology. But also, you know, I always, I think about this a lot. I feel like I'm kind of my own worst enemy when it comes to thinking about applying to such a competitive specialty. But yeah, like you said, I think it's important to to realize that the balance is, is super important and that... As long as you work hard, it'll get noticed in a positive way.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: My last question for you is what advice do you have for students who are interested in applying to dermatology who are uh, currently in their preclinical stage versus if
0: they're in their clinical stage? Um, Preclinical stage is um, one. Okay. If you have any mentor, get onto a project. Right. Start doing some research. If you can get onto a publication, I know it it is strengthen it if it's a dermatology publication. But at that preclinical stage, it doesn't necessarily have to be. But get the research tools down or the tools that you need to um, to write up a case report. You know, strengthen those strengthen those tools. Um, If you can connect yourself with the at the same time you're doing that, you may have a mentor that's in a completely different field. Finish that project up and on the side, start reaching out to the dermatologist at your institution asking, do they have any projects that you can, that you can help with projects during your time off in the summer uh, case reports get on their radar because as soon as applicants become a fourth year student, they're already busy in the application cycle and they, they are starting to realize that their publications at that point aren't going to make a difference. So getting on them early. So they're on your application um, is important. And 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 we know our students wrote it out. So if I had a case report right now that needs written up, I'm not going to reach out to one of my fourth year medical students, right? They're enjoying their last year. They're already finishing up their interviews. They might be the best writer, but they're not, they have less interest and it's not going to be as valuable to them. So I'm looking for that second year or third year who really wants to get a project underneath their belt. So reach out to someone because even if they don't reach out to you right now today, they're on your radar for the next project because i think most most mentors are thinking about who's next in line, who wants to help and who's going to benefit from this. And who's going to who's going to be want to work hard on a, on the on the case report of the project because they know it's going to benefit them. So reach out, get in touch. Dr. Mosser, it's been a pleasure. I
1: really hope that our listeners either reinforce what they already know or even better if they learn something new about the um, just how the residency application process works and a little bit about OSU and, and Columbus as well. So thank you again.
0: You're welcome. All right, thank you. It's great chatting with you today. Good luck to all those future dermatology applicants out there. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to derminterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.